Uh, we are in our uh, opening series for the year, Unshakable Faith. And uh, today, kind of a subtitle, uh, kind of, you know, looking at uh, testing, uh, the testing faith. And so, um, if you have your Bibles, uh, hopefully you already know, we're in um, Hebrews chapter 11. And just encourage you, uh, we, we do have a few more weeks of this, to read through all of the book of Hebrews, uh, because all of this ties in together uh, very beautifully. But uh, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be reading uh, beginning at verse 17. So if you want to stand there for the reading of God's Word, we will look at it together, okay? Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Verse 20. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we examine what it means to have our faith tested, let us get a different perspective about it, one that brings about a sense of joy as our faith is strengthened, your presence is, is welcomed into all of our circumstances, and we see transformation, Lord, in our lives and in our families as a result of allowing you to take us where you want to take us, to do as you will to do. And Father, that we would follow you wherever you lead, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Everybody loves a test, don't they? I know you enjoy it, you know, it's uh, a lot of fun, and uh, I've you know, I enjoy it so much, I've taken some tests more than once. It's, I don't know if you guys have done that before, but uh, testing is, is a part of our walk as Christians. And uh, as we were open, reading the, the opening verse here, uh, we're instantly kind of uh, struck, but I want to give a little bit of, of uh, explanation behind this before we, we go a little deeper, by what this event, this, this traumatic event of, of Abraham... Uh, going back and visiting in Genesis, being uh, asked by God to, to take his son, his only son, that God had promised it that would become a mighty nation, the nation of Israel. And he says, now that you have him, take him. And, uh, you know, most uh, scholars believe that he wasn't the child that we saw, you know, in, in the, uh, the stories when we were growing up in Sunday school. You know, you see the little child that they're putting up on the altar. But most of them believe he was, you know, anywhere from 18 to 25 years old at this point. And he's going with his father in obedience 
to what his father has said, and Abraham is going in obedience to God. God is, is telling him, uh, I, I want you to offer up your son in sacrifice to me. And we see the language used here, offered up his only begotten son. It reminds us of at least one of the passages that most of us have memorized out of Scripture, John 3.16. And if you have, let's say it together, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His only begotten son. So it reads out of the King James and then here, uh, the parallel of that. So we're seeing a type and a shadow, which is what we see a lot in the Old Testament, of what is to come. You know, we find uh, through this that God didn't want uh, Isaac's son. He was showing uh, a, a type and a shadow of, of his giving of his son for us. And uh, we know uh, the, the end of the story that God did provide. He provided another sacrifice. But the incredible faith that Abraham had to take his son up and in his own mind, trying to rationalize this out. And this is what we do during testing, right? And we're going to be obedient. We're going to follow God. But then we're trying to figure out, you know, when it doesn't make sense, when God says something that doesn't kind of line up with, with what we think he's promised, you know, God's promised a future generation. And uh, so, you know, how's that going to happen if I, if I sacrifice my son? Well, he thinks, well, maybe God will raise him up from the dead. Maybe after he's, he's, he's dead and offered up to the Lord, God will raise him up. And that was in his mind, and so we see that language there, concluding that God was able to raise him up, <clears throat> even from the dead, from which he has also received, received him in a figurative sense. So uh, Abraham had confidence and faith, and he, and he went into this testing situation, having lived a long life with the Lord. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad God doesn't start us here. You know, Abraham didn't start here. He started, God started him by saying, you know, I want you to go into another place. I'm going to lead you and guide you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Just go. And that was the beginning of being obedient at his first test. Are you going to follow me? But it was down the line as he learned to trust God and that God was faithful. Now he's able to be obedient in this respect, to take his son up the hill, to offer him as a sacrifice. But God provided a sacrifice. As you read back in the story, the angel stops Abraham from sacrificing his son, and there is a ram that is caught in the bushes, and they take the ram instead, and they offer that up to the Lord in terms of a sacrifice. I'm wondering today, how has your faith been challenged in ways that cost you dearly to respond to that call for obedience? That is a part of what's happening in testing, is God is testing areas of things that are most precious in our life. It really is the summit of faith for us when God tests us to surrender to Him that which is most precious to us, uh, counting on Him to keep His promises no matter what. And throughout our life, what, be, what is precious kind of you know, changes over time, and, and there are things that become really precious to us and really sacred to us. And it is in those areas often that God is testing us. Tested faith reveals the depth of our faith. Tested faith will reveal the depth of our faith. Now, living in the blessing of God makes us all look good and, and look like mature Christians, right? When everything is going well, we all look like we're very mature Christians, right? Yeah. 
But yeah, we're all smiling and we're happy. You know, we have jobs and, and you know, the refrigerator's full and, and the, pay, the house's payment is made and, and, you know, things are just going well and, and it makes us all look like mature Christians. But then when things get shaken up a little bit, then, then it, it begins to, you know, we begin to realize some of us are struggling, having a challenge. It is when those difficulties and those challenges call us uh, to obedience and they, they arise in our lives that our faith really gets exposed. <clears throat> we get to see what our faith really looks like. We get a, a true picture. You know, shortly after we received the, the news about uh, Michelle's health and what was going on there, we, we began to uh, dive in and kind of learn about, uh, we were told, you know, but we also began to read and learn about foods and ingredients uh, that you should avoid and things that were not uh, helpful to her uh, right now. And so I remember being at the, uh, the store and uh, early on and, and finding, you know, for the first time, just really combing through ingredients. Now, I've read ingredients before to check for things, but I mean, I'm really combing through it because they have given us a list of things that even healthy kinds of foods that we shouldn't be eating. And so I'm just combing through these and it's taking shopping has gone from like what normally been maybe a 20 minute deal, like it's over an hour. I'm, and I don't even have a, a full cart. I'm just combing through these things and, and doing the shopping. And, and I'm down to the last one. And I'm, I'm on this aisle where I'm, I'm looking for uh, a, a kind of a, a, a sauce that's going to go with what we are fixing for that night. And I've combed four shelves and gone through every bottle and I'm reading for, you know, how much sodium and all these other big words that they had given us that are, uh, you know, horrible uh, for where she's at right now. And, and suddenly I'm kind of just overwhelmed with sadness and I'm, I'm kind of paralyzed with, with fear about, you know, am I going to get something that's going to harm my wife? And, and I just whispered to God, I said, uh, you know, and, and not out loud, but just, you know, whispered to God, I'm just trying not to kill my wife, you know. <laughs> and and, and it, was, it, was, it was interesting because I've invited God in that moment, in that moment of testing, into the circumstance. And i got to tell you, man, sometimes a grocery store can become a cathedral. <laughs> I don't know what was happening on behind me, and you know I probably cleared out a whole aisle of people, but God came, and and visited me in the midst of of a difficult circumstance, and that is the wonder and the joy and the hope of unshakable faith. Yes, it's the reason we want to get there, where God wants to take us, because when we really get to the place. Of, of the challenge that, that Abraham was facing and being obedient to God, we will find that God can turn a grocery store into a cathedral. <laughs> God can visit you in a way that will lift your spirits, encourage you, give you insights and hopes beyond what you can even think. And it is such a joy to know that level of faith. And I hope that before we dig into this message, that I can plant that with you. You want to be tested. Yes. You want your faith to be tested. Yes. You want it to grow because there are moments ahead of you that you're going to need to know how to invite God into your circumstance and your situation. What is, you know, tested 
you know, as God shows up, when tested, God shows up in, in huge ways. So let's, let's walk through this real quickly. And I think a big lesson out of this, as we're looking at the passage of Scripture, is God will test our faith to grow us. God tests our faith to grow us. It begins by saying, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6-7, through 7, uh, he says to, to the believers that are facing persecution, and in this passage, I think we have it on the slide, in this, or your salvation, this, like, that doesn't say that in the scripture, but that in your salvation is what it's talking about, you greatly rejoice even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you see that God's purpose in testing our faith is not to make uh, it fail or, or to, to, you know, make you ashamed, you know, but it is to reveal the quality of our faith and to help us grow and become what he has always intended for us to be. Now, his, his purpose in testing us is to prove to us and to others the genuine quality of our faith. And without testing, we, we really don't know if our faith is real or not. And it's why when, you know, we have young people that, you know, will leave uh, the church, they go off to college and and suddenly they're just surrounded by people who don't believe in God and call into question things that they have not called into question, you know. And, and I, listen, I think there's, uh, you know, there's a responsibility, and we take that seriously as a church to train up and to help you as parents, to train up your kids and to, to teach them how to defend their faith, you know, when, they come, when people come against it. But I want to say to you, and we have young people in, in the room today too, I want to say to you that you have the responsibility to dig into God's word and come to know him personally and have a relationship with him. You see, the the whole discipleship thing has two pieces to it, right? You need somebody who is in the know. We call them the disciple, you know, and a discipler, I guess, if you want to say it that way. And they're the ones that are going to help you where you, you know, They've had experience and wisdom and they've studied the word of God and they can, they can help you and encourage you. But the other part of it is you have to have a, a, a teachable spirit, right? You have to have a hunger for the things of God and you have to be willing to come in, take notes, uh, learn, grow and develop into what God is calling you to be. He has great plans for you. Now, if we submit to God in, uh, in the test, by trusting in Him, our faith is, is going to grow. It's going to get stronger and stronger if we will submit and surrender and allow Him to bring us through that test. Everyone that is happy this morning that God is testing you, let me hear a hearty amen. <laughs> well, let me just explain it this way. I want God to test me. I want... I want Christ Jesus to, to lead me and guide me each step of the way, and, and that's going to take me into testing, and I want it. 
I want to, my faith to be tested. I want to be stronger. I want to grow in him. And, and here's why. And let me give you a, a kind of a, a, a real life experience. How many of you would love it if you ever had to have surgery, if the surgeon had been tested before? Good morning, I'm about to open you up. This is the first time I've ever done this in my life, and I'm so excited that you volunteered your body so that I can open it up and figure out what's going on. The anesthesiologist walks in and goes, yeah, I've never, never really done this to a real person. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that I give you enough, not too much and not too little, just to knock you out. I'm hoping you don't feel the pain, you know, when he gets that knife on you there, you know. No, I'm telling you what, uh, if I ever have to have surgery, I want the surgeon who's been tested, right? <laughs> I want the guy who's operated on people that have thin skin and thick skin and the people whose you know, uh, organs were a little bit left and a little bit right. And I want that guy you know, that's gone through all of that and troubleshot it on someone else <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be the one that's operating on me, right? I want that person to be operating on me. So like, I feel the same way about my faith. I want to be tested because I want to be the one who can help others walk through the course of life and strengthen their faith and lift them up and encourage them. Anyone else in this room or online feel the same way? You want a surgeon that's been tested, okay? That's, uh, I want, to, and, and if I'm going to have a mentor, somebody who's going to teach me about Scripture, I want somebody who understands and, and cares more about the Word of God than they care about what culture is trying to transition the Word of God into today. This has always been happening. This is not anything new, but we're seeing, uh, you know, we just see a lot more of it because we have a lot more feeding into our lives. You know, when Michelle and I were really young, uh, you know, the news was only like, you know, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes a night, you know, and, and that was the end of it. And then they came up, you know, with Ted Koppel, and then the news just went forever, you know, it's like, and, and these news shows and uh, all of the, the things that popped up, and so we just hear it constantly, you know. Anybody miss hearing about the balloons from China? Anybody, like, <laughs> So we, we saw it on social media, we heard it on the news, we heard it on the radio. We just can't miss anything anymore, right? I mean, you used to actually, you know, in our day when we were younger, we would run into people, there was a major thing that had happened, they had never heard about it for a whole week. They just hadn't even heard about it because they just hadn't seen the news or whatever, you know. And uh, so we were informing them and it was real news, you know, they just didn't know. But it's rare now to run into somebody that doesn't know, you know, what's going on in our, in our world today. But what we are seeing, and, and always has been going on, is the, the enemy, the enemy is raising up, the Antichrist is raising up a church that's going to bear the name Christian, it's going to bear the name Christian, that will be acceptable to the states and the world. They will say, that, that's the true Christian church. The rest of you guys, you know, are evil, you're haters, and, you know, and so that, that's, that's what's going on in our world right now. It's, and, and you know, it is, it is a separation of, of the true church uh, is, is rising up and gathering. It's always been there, and uh, it's rising up and gathering, and there's always been God saying, I'm coming in here. And I'm going to take. I'm going to separate the sheep from the goat. I am going to show who belongs to me yeah. Yeah. In, in in a real way, because that's the only hope for a lost world. 
is when people see who really belongs to the Lord. And so this testing is this testing that we're going through, these trials that we're going through corporately together, not your personal issues that you're going on in your life, but these things corporately that we're going through are refining us as a church that we can show forth the glory of God. Isn't that great news? I mean, there's going to be people that are hungry. Uh, They have reached the end of, of their perversion. And all of the things they thought were going to bring them pleasure and joy and happiness, and they are they are screaming out. I had a, an evangelist that spoke for us um, one week uh, in uh, when we were in Phoenix, and uh, we had a week revival there. Uh, I had we had David Osselbrook for about three years in a row. He's he's just a brilliant brilliant mind. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He uh, had scripture practically memorized. He was. I'm talking a brilliant mind. This guy used to say, you know, he would read out a scripture and he says the Greek word for that and he would tell you what the Greek word was. And he said in the Strong's Concordance, you know, if you're looking there, it's number 1788. And I was like, (laughs) he was a great, great preacher. But we put him up in this hotel. And next door, these guys had come in in the night and and brought uh, women and uh, they were partying all night long. And uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't sleep that first night before the revival. It was a real attack of the enemy trying to stop what God did. It was a great, great revival. God did some great things. But he, he was telling me later privately, he said at the, at the end of the evening, after they had hours of this going on, and he had called in to the front desk, and, you know, they tried to calm him down, and then, you know, it just, it just went on and on. And he said after these guys had expended all of their energies and done everything they thought they wanted to do, he heard one of them cry out, is this all there is to life? Is this it? And I'd say we have a world right now that's crying out, is this all there is to life? And God's raising up a church that's come through persecution without spot or wrinkle. And they're standing firm and they're standing strong and they look like a beacon and people say, there's something else than what I've experienced, and I want to see what that's all about. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be uh, called, concluding that God was able to raise him up from the dead, uh, from which he also received in a figurative sense. Now Abraham obeyed God promptly without argument, and uh, even, even though God's command seemed to contradict God's promise. And, and as a side note to this, which is kind of interesting, this was on Mount Moriah uh, and, and where this event took place. And, and that name means God will provide. It was later after this that King Solomon later built the first temple here on Mount Moriah. Today, uh, the Muslim shrine, the, the Dome of the Rock is in Jerusalem, and it stands at the site of the sacrifice place where where Abraham was going to bring Isaac to be sacrificed. By faith, the next passage there reads, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now these are things sometimes I think we just kind of read through and we remember a little bit, you know, about what the story in Genesis, but we don't really see the huge impact of that little sentence right there. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Do you remember the story? You know, Isaac was, uh, had grown old of age, and his, he was practically blind, and he couldn't see well. And uh, 
Jacob and his mother, you know, his mother conspiring with Jacob because she favored him. He was the favorite. Uh, he's the younger, and Esau was the older, and that meant that Esau was going to get the blessing. So he was going to get the lying share of the household. He was going to get all the best, and then whatever was left, you know, and usually not much, uh, was going to the second son. And so she didn't want that to happen. She wanted Jacob to be blessed and get all the blessing. And so she conspired uh, with him, and they dressed him up. You know, you, you may remember Esau was a hairy man, so she put, you know, this uh, animal uh, cloak on him to, to make him feel like he was hairy, you know, because she knew the, his voice wouldn't match when they came in for the blessing. And so, you know, uh, Isaac was going to ask to touch him, and he says, you know, and, he, and it happened. And he says, you know, your, your voice is, is that of Jacob, but, you know, uh, your, your skin is that of my son Esau. And so he gives him the blessing. Now, we know, as those who read the story, that really Esau had already given away. He despised his birthright uh, several times, but one of which he sold it for a bowl of porridge at one point, you know, from his brother. So, you know, in the significance of this story, though, is by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. It's an incredible passage because Isaac was uh, deceived by Jacob and Rachel, and yet in, he, he recognized, even after this was all done, that this was God's plan. Now, now, how many of us can go down the road and say, well, wait a minute, you know, everybody else, it happens this way, and now, God, you're changing it for me? Like, culturally, it all happens for everybody Everybody, it's the same way. Everybody that gets a job at this place gets advanced here. Everybody that does this and that, A, B, and C, gets that. And, and then you're changing it up for me. And Isaac reached a place of incredible faith where he didn't know all the behind-the-scenes story. I don't think he really knew that Esau had sold his birthright uh, for a cup of soup. He had no idea. And, and here he is in this, in this moment of faith, reckoning with what God has done. He said, I'm going to go ahead and bless both my sons, and this is God's choice that's, that uh, he switched places, that uh, Jacob is going to be number one, and Esau is going to be number two. I'm going to trust that with God. Yeah. I'm going to leave that with God. And that's really huge, because there, how many times have you and I run into circumstances where it just didn't go the way we, we you know, it, it goes for everyone else? And so we're just like, well, I'm not going to go then. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. And, and it's, is, is it okay? How many of you say it's okay if God does something different? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, you know, now, I mean it. If God does something different, you know, do what Isaac did. The Lord gives, the Lord takes, bless me the name of the Lord is what Job said. And Isaac's, you know, he's like, I concur with that. Yeah, it's, this is God's plan. He switched places. This is the number one son. That's, okay. That's all right with me. I accept that. And by faith, I'm going to bless both my sons. And God, I'm going to trust in God with all of my heart. He's the one that gets to decide, not me. Right? Then the, the next verse says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his son uh, of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on his, his staff. Jacob was, was confident that God will fulfill his promise to the next generation. He blessed his grandsons. He, he worshiped God joyfully. He didn't enter into that, that uh, full blessing that God had promised, but he knew it was coming, and he saw it ahead of time. It's an enduring legacy of faith. <clears throat> what Isaac had done 
by blessing this, his sons Jacob and Esau is now being uh, pressed forward by uh, Jacob here. He's blessing his generation ahead. Yeah. And then it says, finally, <coughs> excuse me, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Now, I never read this passage without thinking about Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments movie and, and all those guys with the bones of, of Joseph and singing, Oh, coat of many colors. You remember that in Cecil B. DeMille's great movie, The Ten Commandments? And they're singing uh, about Joseph and, and uh, you know, his favor and, and all that God had done in his life and remembering how God had, had kept his promise. He told him, he says, you're going to rule. And uh, his brother said, that's crazy. You know, you're just a young brother. You know nothing. And, and God raised him up, you know, into the place of, of great leadership in Egypt. And it provided a, a, a haven, a safe haven for Egypt. And it's interesting that God... <clears throat> Because of that, God doesn't uh, do a lot of things in Egypt that he does in some of the other nations in terms of, of the, his, his fierce judgments uh, of wiping those nations out as they're coming into the promised land. He restricts Israel at certain points about going back and doing damage to Egypt because they housed Israel and allowed them to stay there for a period of time. Now, things got bad after they forgot about Joseph and they took uh, the children of Israel into slavery and so on and so forth. Um, and we can go back and, and read through those stories. But uh, it, it is, is interesting to see the heritage here and, and what God was saying, and that Joseph knew, I'm not, this is not my home. Egypt's not my home. God's made a promise, and so when we get there, make sure my bones get buried there. I want to go where God has promised to take us. For now, we're supposed to be here, and God is providing here, but we're going somewhere else as a nation. Remember to take me when you go, and they did. And I thought that's, uh, again, you know, that, that movie, watching them carry him out and sing that triumphant song, you know. And uh, I think one of the elders is talking to a couple of young kids and explaining to them, you know, what's happening here. So that generation after generation knows this was a man who was faithful, who gave himself to God, and he looked for... Uh, a land that God had promised to his people, and he wanted to be buried there, not here. So let's get uh, quickly run through application of these passages for our lives. First of all, coming into the understanding that untested faith can lead to doubt, spiritual indifference, a shallow and an unsound worldview. And so we should welcome trials and challenges that come into our lives. We don't want to fall uh, to the side uh, with doubt or with spiritual indifference or sh be shallow or have an unsound worldview. We want to we invite God into every aspect of our life. We want our faith to grow so that we're believing Him for what He's promised for us corporately and He's promised for our lives individually. Now the challenge in each test is to determine, you know, what we value the most. And, and when the test involves what is most precious to you, uh, we, we get to see what's gonna, who or what is going to win out. Who or what is going to win out when, when God's testing what's most precious in our lives. Now when the test involves um, that kind of you know, 
that, we, that is really precious and valued to us, then, then we're really required to lay that on the altar before the Lord and to say, God, this, this is really precious to me, but what I value most is you. And so I'm offering this up. We do that in, in dedication. You know, when we bring our children for baby dedications and, and uh, we come into the congregation and we, we do it publicly in a, in a ceremony and we're offering our children to the Lord and we're saying, you know, these, these children, we love them so much. They're so precious to us. Can't imagine life or, or a moment without them. <clears throat> but God, most of all, we want you to rule and reign in their life. And we want you to be honored and glorified. And so we are laying them on the altar before you to say, we recognize that our role right now is, is, is a role of stewardship as parents. We're to parent them. We're blessed to have this opportunity. We're going to take advantage of it by leading them to know you and to serve you. But God, this is we're offering them to you because there's no better hands they can be in than your hands. Now, years ago when... Um, I was a youth minister, and I was in Phoenix. Uh, there was a big conference, a youth conference at, at one of the large churches, and the main speaker had a very successful youth program in California. Hundreds and hundreds, thousands, I think, or so, uh, young people on a weekly basis that they were ministering to. Just a really great uh, program. And he shared the story of, of a very wealthy couple in California that was elderly, uh, that loved that youth program, and uh, they had willed it their, their, one of their estates. It was a beautiful mansion, um, and it had about 15,000 square feet, as I remember the story uh, of home. It was near the beach, very close, and um, they had willed that to the youth, and uh, that, that with the, the youth of that church. They would always have that as a campground, as a place to go, and, uh, and so he tells a story about his first uh, youth outing at this location, and it was really chaotic, you know, because obviously it's a mansion, and, you know, it's, it's got to be explored, and these kids are, like, running, you know, all over the place, exploring this mansion, and they're, in, they're around the pool, and they're downstairs, and they're upstairs, and they're screaming, and there's noise. They're on the staircase, and all kinds of stuff is going on. And, you know, he's, he's beginning to second-guess, did I make the right decision and <laughs> bringing them here? Did I get enough sponsors? And he, all this stuff is going through his mind. And uh, a, a maintenance man who had been working there had left a floor polisher, you know, in the grand entry. And three of the young boys decided that they were going to ride that floor polisher you know, across the floor to impress girls uh, that they liked. And so they took off on it, and of course it got out of control real quickly, and it slammed them against the wall, and finally that piece of equipment slammed into the wall and made this huge dent, you know, in, in this beautiful wall uh, of this mansion. And uh, he says, now, you know, he says, I'm, I'm coming down the stairs seeing this, and now because of all the noise, the room is full like all the kids are in there and they're all, you know, oh my goodness, like what has happened and, and everything, you know, and, and there's kids, these three boys are thrown against every wall, strewn all over the building and everybody's just kind of like in shock looking down. And he said, I realized in that moment, you know, that, you know, what I, I started to act and then he said, I suddenly realized in that moment that I was being watched by this, this whole group and they wanted to see what was most precious to me. Was it the wall? <laughs> of this beautiful mansion, 
Was I going to go over and like, oh my gosh, and just touch the wall and try to pull the, you know, uh, the sheetrock back into place or whatever? Or was I going to go for these boys who had been thrown up against the wall and, you know, make sure they're not damaged and hurt? And he said, I really realized that, you know, this is just a building. You know, after, after all this is over, you know, if you think it's just a, it's just a building, it's just a shelter. And, and these guys' lives who came here, and he said, I looked down at some of them, I recognized that, you know, one of, one of the boys that we had brought in uh, that knew nothing about Jesus, he had no help at home, his, his family was not Christians or believers, and, you know, he was, he was, you know, going through a lot in his life, and he had found such a home among, you know, our young people in our church, and he had, he had found a, you know, a loving spiritual family who was ministering in his life. And, you know, I could yell at him and embarrass him, you know, or, or, you know, I could make this a moment where what is most precious to me is that that is most precious to God. And he said, you know, I just went down, I checked on the guys, and I embraced them, and we had prayer, and we got around as, as a group, and, and we prayed together. And uh, he said, you know, it, it totally turned around that whole weekend, you know, that God just really came and did some powerful things because in that moment of being tested as a leader, I recognized what was most precious was what was most precious to God. And that, that is, that you know, when we go through testings, here it is, the bottom line is that what God knows about your heart uh, and, and the testing is intended to reveal it to you, Okay? Yeah, there's no, you know, God already knows it, you know. He was, he was telling Moses, I just got through reading this this morning out of Deuteronomy, he's telling him, people are going to fail. <laughs> they're going to seek other gods. And after you die, they're going to go whoring after other nations' gods and things like that. And uh, God already knew, you know, what was going to happen. He already knows what's going on in our hearts. The problem is a lot of times we don't. Because we're the catalyst for change. When we know, we, we have a, then, then suddenly we're confronted with either we're going to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and make Him you know, Lord and leader over our whole lives, or we're going to move on from this point and He's not going to be God of our lives. We're going to be God of our lives. God wants to reveal to you so that you can make the change that you need to make in surrendering your life wholly and completely to Him. Abraham waited a lifetime for a son to be born. And God had promised uh, in Abraham's old age that that would be fulfilled. Abraham loved Isaac, without question. And, and the question was, though in the testing, you know, when God was testing him in this area, was, was you know, when it really got difficult, was, was Abraham going to worship self-preservation or was he going to worship God with all of his heart, with all of his life? Is it more important that, that I persevere and that I make it and that I... Or, or is, is God's will and His glory and His honor, uh, you know, what needs to be valued and cherished in this moment? Abraham's obedience to God revealed, you know, a grown-up faith, that it had matured, that it had grown in him, and God honored it by bringing another sacrifice and, and, and showing us in Scripture, this is what's to come. I'm sending my son. I don't want your sons. I'm sending my son to die for you. He had come a long way, you know, Abraham had from lying to a king about, 
his wife telling him that he was that she was his sister, so he was fearful and afraid that the king, you know, might uh, take everything from him. So he <clears throat> he acts like she's not his wife. He had come so far from those things that now, and that's a beautiful picture about you know allowing God to do the testing. Sometimes when you're done, God has revealed a real beautiful thing that's happened inside of you that you've allowed him to do. And man, it's just so wonderful when you realize, I passed the test. (laughs) I don't have to take this one again. I passed the test. God is God in my life. He's Lord over these things. He's most precious to me. A picture of Isaac on the altar waiting uh, to be sacrificed. A picture of of God, uh, you know, uh, what God is going to do for mankind and not what mankind is going to do for God. I want to invite our worship team to come. Our question this morning, you know, this leads us to, does, does God have your heart or a counterfeit? Unshakable faith is tested, uh, not so that, that God will know what is going on inside of you, but so you will know what's happening. And what has testing revealed about your faith in God. What, what is the testing that God's been showing you? In little and big ways, we're being tested. I was, we were doing our, our corporate prayer this morning before service started. And, and, you know, we're tested in just coming to church on a weekly basis and giving God, uh, you know, our, our, our whole selves. We're tested in that. And, and sometimes that's a challenge, right? Just like, you know, you get up, you don't feel great. Or, you know, you, maybe you get up and you just, you know, ah, we woke up a little late. I don't know if I want to you know, or there's things that are going on in your life. We should do this and that. I've got laundry and I've got, you know, and, and, and that's, those are, are really little tests, but they're, they can become big. They can become like mountains for us, you know. What's most precious? What's most valued? What's most important? And then there are huge things. There's people online, there's people in this room right now that are facing, uh, you know, really, you know, some very difficult challenges, some real crisis situations. And, you know, the testing that you're going through right now is, is revealing some things to you. And you're, you're starting to recognize that, you know, what you thought about your Christian walk is not really what is. These challenges have been setbacks. You've been snapping at some people. Um, you know, you, you have considered doing some things uh, yourself to try to right the situation, the circumstances. God says what's most precious. What what is most valued. And uh, we're not always winning that, you know. It's like, ah, this is really ugly, God. I wish you hadn't tested me because I didn't want to see this part of my heart. Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can. And testing can reveal it to us. Lord, we want to honor you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. We want to invite you into these closing moments. God, to be the Lord and the leader of our life. For our campus online, those that are listening, that are going through some testing and some difficulty. Some ugly things have been revealed in recent days. 
things they didn't want to remember or think about, things that they thought they had put behind them. As they've been pressed and squeezed, anger has come out, rage has come out, bitterness has come out. Father, I'm inviting you into the rooms of those that are online right now to meet them where they're at and show them how your presence can change all of that, how you can grow them up in the faith, that they don't have to repeat tests over and over again, but they can be advancing in their growth and development as they surrender to you as the most precious and most valued. In this room, Lord, on campus here, there may be those who are facing significant challenges right now, real testings, big things, life and death matters, financial issues, marriage issues. Lord, just, just some incredible challenges that they can't see their way out of. And the testing has really exposed their hearts. And it's, you know, they've recognized that not, you're not Lord over everything in their life. And Lord, as we've often said, if you're not Lord over all, you're not Lord at all. If we're holding anything back, we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to come up with our own solutions, we value something more than we value you, then you're not really completely Lord. And so the Lordship issue we want to settle this morning. We want to make you the Lord and the leader over every part of our life. We want to honor you and give you glory, Lord, that even in the testing, we want to glorify your name. We don't see the answer we want to see. We haven't heard what we want to hear. We haven't received what we think we need to receive. But by faith, like these great heroes of Hebrews chapter 11, we reach out to you that you are Lord of all and you're Lord over all of our lives. Will you stand with me? as we close out in prayer. And let's make this an altar where you're standing of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ this morning as we lift our voices to him.